Hi everyone, it's not Mark Graven. This is Jamie Flinchball. This summer, the Lean Blog podcast has been pretty much on hiatus, and Mark has been re-releasing some of the older episodes with newly recorded introductions. Well, Mark's voice has pretty much gone on hiatus this week. And since he can't talk with a lost voice, he asked me to record this intro for a podcast where we look back at some of the episodes I've been involved in. I was his guest for episodes five and six back in 2006, and then again in episode 10 later that year. Uh, In 2008, I turned the tables and interviewed Mark in episode 50, and then Mark interviewed me in episodes 64 and 261. I then turned the tables again to interview Mark in episode 316 about his book, Measures of Success. In April 2019, Mark and I started the Lean Whiskey podcast together, and we plan on recording episode 29 of that series on Sunday, if his voice is back to normal, but isn't whiskey the cure-all. Today, we're sharing episodes five and six together. Back then, the episodes were shorter, so it's combined just under 30 minutes, and we talk about waste and the role of leadership. I hope you enjoy our 2006 discussion, almost exactly 15 years ago. And as always, thanks for listening, and please do check out Lean Whiskey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. This is Mark Graben of the Lean Blog. Today is September 10th, 2006, and this is episode number five of the Lean Blog Podcast. Today, we have the first part of a conversation with Jamie Flinchbaugh, founder and partner with the Lean Learning Center and co-author of the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean. Prior to starting the center, Jamie has had a long career as a lean manufacturing leader with Chrysler, with DTE Energy, as well as Rev Motorcycles, another company he helped start. Jamie is also a regular contributor to the Lean blog, and I'm very happy to have him here. Today, we talk about waste as defined in lean manufacturing and the specific language of waste elimination. Our second podcast will focus on leadership's role in waste elimination, so you can subscribe to the podcast or stay tuned to the Lean blog to learn about when that will be available. Well, Jamie, once again, thanks for being here on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Mark. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about today, our our topic is going to be waste. And in reading your book, Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean, one of the things that jumped out at me is kind of an interesting idea. You use some terminology. You talk about the notion of hatred for waste and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on why you chose that terminology and and why that's an important distinction and and how we um, form our attitudes about waste. Sure. I think um, when we say that word hatred for waste, it's it's, uh, certainly draws some reactions from folks. And um, hatred isn't usually considered a positive thing. Right. Um, But I think the, the, the important distinction is that the word hatred compels action. Uh, You know, when you hate something, it should compel you to some kind of action. If you hate the way you look, you might be compelled to go on a diet. If you hate waste, you might be compelled to do something about eliminating it. I think everybody's dissatisfied with waste they see around them in business. And, you know, it's hard to have many conversations about work without someone expressing some kind of dissatisfaction. Um, but that doesn't compel very much action. And we, we care about Waste elimination. It's not, you know, waste identification is only a means to the elimination. And it's that compelling action that we really care about. So do you see companies out there that get 
kind of hung up on maybe an analysis phase of lean where you know, they've gone through and whether it's through value stream mapping or brainstorming or, or you know, are they getting hung up on creating lists of waste that they're not necessarily doing anything about? I think that's a, a part of it. Um, you know, part of it is it comes to waste itself actually even goes before the analysis part. And that is I, I see an awful lot in books and in classes and in companies where we talk about waste simply as a reason for doing all the other lean stuff. So we do pull and we do 5S and we do all this stuff for the benefit of eliminating waste. But we don't actually treat waste as a tool or method unto itself. And, and waste elimination should be a daily activity. People should put on a pair of glasses of waste elimination and, and look around at what they have in front of them and do something about it that day. So I think it starts even before most companies or too many companies are not even using waste to do analysis, let alone elimination. And then once it gets to the analysis phase, um, you could, we can really get, get hung up around, uh, especially, you know, what should we focus on first? You know, what's first, second, and third? And, um, you know, there's, there's certainly, you don't want to waste time. You want to get as much progress as possible and you want people to take the right action. But you don't learn much mm-hmm. looking at a piece of paper. You only learn by doing something. And so we've seen companies that, you know, might spend three months discussing what to do. And the reason they're, they're arguing about it is because they don't want to waste three months doing the wrong thing, but they just wasted three months doing nothing, which is much, much worse. Right. It's better to, to, Jump in and work on eliminating waste and learn something in the process. I would imagine, and it's interesting you mentioned waste as a tool, and maybe you can talk about that a little more because I guess I hadn't thought of waste elimination as a tool. You know, 5S and Kanban are things that jump to mind as as lean tools. Where you know, with waste, that seems more of um, more of a, a concept than a tool. And I mean, is there any, if you could elaborate on that and then, you know, is there any risk of maybe focusing on waste to the detriment of what would be important for the customer or, you know, focusing on waste so much that you're ignoring maybe the value creation side of lean? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. So let me, let me address those separately. Um, so, so lean is a tool. You know, I think, I think, the way you've heard it is the way it's most often communicated. Yeah. So let's let's do value stream mapping or, or visual management or any of these things in order to eliminate waste. But really, waste waste elimination should be an act into itself. I mean, people didn't create these tools. These tools were created to eliminate waste. Right. They don't by themselves eliminate all forms of waste. Um, and, and so we need to we need to actually go out and look at our own processes or in organizations, find a waste and eliminate it. And so you know, we talk about things like waste walks. Um, I always hate any any absolutes when it comes to lean where people say, well, if, if you don't have value stream maps, then you're not doing lean, or you don't have 5S, you're not doing lean. Um, if I had anything, if I was going to say, well, you must have this, I'd at least say it was probably waste walks. And, mm-hmm. and just taking time out of, of your day, of your week, whatever, to go out and just look at work to identify where, where waste exists, and whether it's a team, individual or a team or, 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 or group. And the actual act of going out, putting on the waste pair of glasses and looking at waste, and then saying, okay, what do we see? What can we do about it? Just that in itself is a huge part of what I would call daily or genuine 
uh, lean at work would actually be. So right. I, I think lean way when it comes to waste, it's really should be part of part of not just a reason for lean, but a part of lean. Um, and part of that also is the the language itself of the seven ways. And people, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time worrying about the eighth ways or the ninth ways or the fifteen mm-hmm. other ways that somebody might come up with. But the point is, is that it's really meant to be a language. And I like to use the the comparison of the language of 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 snow that Eskimos have. And I I've heard several different numbers. And since I don't speak the language, I don't know what the right one is, but. There's there's dozens of different words mm-hmm. for snow in the Eskimo language, and because they have words to describe it, they can actually see it differently. Well, most people that learn about waste, they, they go out in their own organizations and they see waste, but they really can't be specific about it. And so using the seven types of waste actually helps us see it a whole lot better. So you know, if I go look at snow and all I can see is a couple of different types of snow, I can't see that much. Same thing with waste. If all I just say is, well, there's waste, it doesn't help me see it at a fine enough level of detail to do something about it. So right. I believe lean should be waste elimination and the seven wastes and all of that should be part of the daily vernacular and daily activity of an organization that's doing lean. Yeah, and, and given limited time, and we all have limited time throughout our day, it seems like if you were given a choice of spending an hour sitting in a conference room arguing about <laughs> should we include an eighth type of waste or is that embedded in all the others or it seemed like you'd, you'd be a lot better off spending that hour actually out in the floor, actually looking at your process and, and working on the elimination of waste that we all agree on, making it more of a, a practical action driven exercise as opposed to an academic discussion. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of conversations where people, well, is this the waste of this type or waste of that type? <laughs> and you know, it, it, it does matter to a point, but, there's a limit, and uh, if we spend spend an hour talking about it, we probably just wasted an hour. <laughs> sure. So uh, back to the idea of value, though, because you know I think yes. of a lot of times identifying when I'm teaching people, you know, waste um, among other things is something that doesn't create value for the customer. Um, waste of transportation. If you're moving um, a plastic auto part across um, a shop floor, or you know, in healthcare, if you're spending time moving a tube of blood a long distance across the laboratory. You know, the, the customer's not not willing to pay for that. Um, so can you talk a little more about your experiences in tying the idea of, of waste into value? And, and again, you know, is, is there a proper balance between eliminating waste and creating value, or do they just kind of go hand in hand? I think they should go hand in hand. I think they rarely do, fortunately. Um, to me, the, the waste waste is just when we should be looking at the entire value of something we're doing for the customer. And waste is just a, a piece of that pie of work that isn't adding value. And so we, we kind of focus on a definition of lean that is focused on waste elimination. And I, I don't think that's at all the right definition um, because it, it's really only one half of that single equation of value and waste. And, and adding value to the customer, we've seen companies that have eliminated a lot of waste, but they cease to also add value because mm-hmm. um, they weren't focused on understanding their customer understanding what they need, understanding their problems, and understanding how their services or products would actually deliver value. And just to give you an example, I had a conversation with some folks in Alaska that were dealing with the lumber industry. And you know, there's only so much you can do with with uh, you know, manufacturing in Alaska. Um, but they started looking at the value side. Thank you, Mark. 
basically chopping down trees, cutting into lumber and shipping it. And then other folks, you know, Home Depot couldn't even buy that because it was, wasn't plain to work. So then they, they decided to start planing it. So yeah, it's, it's kind of vertical integration forward, but they added more value to the product by adding a step in the process. Then they went another step further and went into engineered wood, uh, so they could actually sell to, to, um, end users of, of wood products. And so they really looked at it from the customer back and said, not just where can we eliminate waste, but also how can we add value? And at the end of the day, you, know, you can, you can cease to become profitable by not focusing on waste elimination. You can cease to become relevant by not focusing <laughs> on a value add. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're describing there, um, they were actually insourcing steps within the value stream that that were previously done by separate companies is that right yeah basically and i don't i don't want to um, yeah. presume that that vertical integration is inherently good or bad mm-hmm. um, but they they were at least asking the question around how do we add more value and and those steps were were much more value added than simply just cutting down the tree yeah i i would agree i mean there's no absolutes in in that regard but i think it's a fair point for analysis where a lot it seems like a lot of times people think well, we're going to get rid of waste, and we don't know how to do that, so they kind of wave the white flag and say we're going to outsource that or, you know, get out of manufacturing altogether instead of maybe using lean to not only figure out how do we reduce waste within our current operations, but, you know, I can see a lot of cases where it might be the right thing to do to um, to integrate and reduce time delays or uh, reduce inventory, give better coordination, you know, that, that would maybe – add better um, service to the customer, which sounds like you're saying that's something that needs to be looked at as much as just being completely internally focused at, at your notions of waste. Well, and one of the reasons is that, although it's, it's started to change, is that the large number of, manuf- of lean efforts out there in the world are still manufacturing-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and manufacturing has limits to how much they can do for adding value to the customer because they're not really driving the product or offering, or they're not even driving the relationship with the customer, and so it's hard. It's it's hard from an organizational standpoint for manufacturing alone to drive the question of how do we add value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually wrote a column about this a little bit in my uh, Assembly Magazine column earlier this year. But at least within manufacturing organizations, they can start to develop use as they use lean efforts, start to develop new capabilities. And then start to challenge, okay, how do those capabilities now allow us to go do something new for the customer? Great. Good advice. Well, thank you, Jamie, for being here. I appreciate your time and joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Raven of the Lean Blog. Today is September 17th, 2006, and you're listening to episode number six of the Lean Blog podcast. This is the second part of a conversation with Jamie Flinchbaugh, founder and partner with the Lean Learning Center, and also the co-author of the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean. In the first part of our discussion, Jamie and I talked about the specific language of waste reduction. Today, we focus on leadership's role in identifying waste and driving it out of your organization. If you'd like to hear the first part of the discussion with Jamie or earlier podcasts with Norman Bodak or Jeffrey Liker, you can visit www.leanpodcast.org for more information. So, Jamie, how do you get started with eliminating waste in the organization? It, it seems like one pitfall would be having senior management pointing down in the organization saying to everyone else, you know, there's a lot of waste on the shop floor. It's your fault. You go fix it. How do you get everybody on board in terms of eliminating waste, particularly the leaders? 
So the first thing I think of when we start talking about actually getting out and getting organizations to eliminate waste is getting the language right. And, and that's the, you know, starts with the seven waste language. And it's not often I would say that it's really important to memorize the words, but in this particular case, I, I think it is important because without, without having understanding the seven waste as a language, it's really hard to actually see stuff. Right. So, I'll go to, I've gone to many organizations and actually given folks pop quizzes. And, and these are people that should be teaching lean inside their own organization. Mm-hmm. And they don't even, you know, I get somewhere between two and, and, and seven right. Some of them get nine and then they're adding stuff into it. So, um, if I can't get the language right, it's hard to go off and see it. So it starts mm-hmm. with the language and then it's getting people out and doing it, doing the learning by doing, actually being able to, to go out and physically eliminate waste. From a leadership standpoint, whether it's frontline supervision or managers or executives, it's it's really understanding um, first eliminating waste in your own role. So so many people think about waste and then they say, okay, let's go down the, the shop floor <laughs> and help the folks on the floor eliminate waste. Right. And granted, that's where a lot of the dollars are. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I start when I start looking at an organization, there's a whole lot more waste and miscommunications and misalignments and meetings that have to happen three times or have to have take three hours instead of one hour. And if I add up all the waste that goes around those processes, it's a whole lot more than trying to squeeze 10 seconds out of the operator on the floor. And so I think it starts with using lean to eliminate waste in your own work, and only then can you start to help someone else. And I bet that would go a long way in you know, trying to anticipate Maybe what the success of Lean is going to be within that organization if you start working with the executives and if, if they're maybe so closed-minded that they're not willing to admit waste within their own personal realm, maybe that would be an indicator that, that you know they're they're not willing to to really embrace this and, and move forward with it. If it's just they want to use it as a finger-pointing or an excuse-making exercise. Yeah, I think I think uh, again it goes to the, the compelling someone to act. If there's, I, I, I don't know if I've ever found anybody that says there isn't waste. So, um, it's not necessarily an admittance standpoint, but, well, but it might, it might be, you know, well, there's somebody else's waste within yeah, the organization. Yeah, there's plenty of waste, but not because of me. There's, there's certainly finger pointing and, and then there's also just, okay, where do we want to start? And, and getting someone to actually do something about waste in their own process. Um, if, if it, it is, I think there are limits to how far an organization can go. If you, you can't get some of those leaders to just say, hey, where is there waste immediately around me? And here's what I'm going to do about that waste. And, and I don't care what it is. I don't care how small it is because it's really a, a mindset for it uh, rather than a, a, an ROI kind of evaluation. But if, yeah. if I start looking at my, my own role and I don't hate the waste around it enough to do something about it, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard for me to support someone else's hatred of that waste that yeah. they see around them. I mean, what, what kind of things would you recommend to, let's say, a plant manager um, who's working with Lean to try to help drive people from identifying waste to action? Uh, it, it seems to me a lot of times the thing holding people back from, you know, sheets of paper on the wall to actually changing things may be some element of fear, um, you know, that they're afraid, of, you know, it, either afraid of admitting the waste or even once they've got it up on the wall, you know, fear of they're not going to do the right things to fix it. Um, what, what are some things that you've seen? Uh, that have been successful from from that leadership standpoint. I think I think one of the important things is is being able to jump down a few layers, and and get down and actually start to do something that people can see. So be visible about it. 
Now, there's a danger in that because you don't want to make that a permanent part of how waste elimination happens. And we've seen um, we've seen situations where, you know, if you want to do eliminate some waste, you go straight to the COO because he's out there all the time and he's he's willing to do something about it. And every other layer isn't, so you just mm-hmm. you just skip to cut to the chase and go to where the the action is going to be, and that's not very productive. But but almost really adopting an area or a team or a person and just very visibly for people demonstrating the type of behaviors um, that, that are expected. I, I, I talk about the, the management support myth, and I go to a lot of organizations that say management's 100% behind us, and the problem is that behind is still behind. <laughs> Le- leadership is being out in front. And so if someone can't actually jump out and do something that they're asking everyone else to do themselves and, and show people how to do it and actually do it and take some risk and put yourself out there, then it's, it's really hard to ask anyone else to do it. And so taking that, taking the leap and getting out of the comfort zone and doing something yourself in a way that people can see mm-hmm. uh, is important. And I think that visibility, it's not showmanship, but if you tried something new and no one else saw it, well, it might have been good for you, but it wasn't necessarily good for the organization. And so it, it's not showmanship, but but demonstrating it, making it visible, letting everyone know that you're doing something. It's hard for them to follow your lead if they don't know. Yeah. Now, is it a matter of being out in the factory floor and maybe you know, asking questions, um, pointing out, you know, asking people, you know, is this waste? What can we do to fix this problem? More I so. Think- I think the question part, I mean, you know, great leaders ask great questions, and questions are an important point of, of helping others. Uh, um, but at some point, it's also just, okay, here's what I see, mm-hmm. and pulling people together and, and, and making some decisions and doing something about it. Um, so I think you can sometimes ask too many questions and sometimes just need to, okay, here, here's the waste we see, mm-hmm. right? Okay, what can we do something about it? Well, let me suggest this, and let's do it. Um, and, and I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to achieve coaching and learning, questions are very powerful. If you're just trying to demonstrate action, well, sometimes asking questions just takes a whole lot longer. And mm-hmm. You just want to go out and do something and uh, show people that we need to start making some decisions. We need to start taking some action and making yeah. things move. And I, I've seen in a couple of different organizations that sometimes, even though you might say in theory, I want – you know, the people I'm coaching to figure it out themselves, but sometimes there's such inertia or lack of, um, lack of energy, lack of change within an organization. I found sometimes it does help to jump in and, uh, say, you know, from, we're, we're working on 5S, we've taught the principles, people aren't exactly jumping to start rearranging their areas. Uh, you know, I found it's helpful sometimes to jump in, you know, get, roll up your sleeves, Start, you know, physically, you know, grabbing things off the shelf and asking people, do you need this? How often do you use that? Um, you know, crawling down and, and putting tape around the floor. But I always tell people, you know, that, you know, this first time is sort of a freebie. You know, I'm, I'm demonstrating it. Don't get dependent on me doing this for you all the time. Um, that I've seen, you know, even, you know, just kind of seeding a couple examples to, to show people, you know, if they're maybe afraid they're going to do it wrong. Here, I'll, I'll show you. Here's a good example. Now I'm going to come back in a couple of days and, and let me see what you've been able to accomplish. I've, I've seen that, um, especially in, in kind of stagnant organizations, that that's a, a helpful method sometimes. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think you're right. I think, um, you know, doing it with them is different than doing it for them. You right. know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, 
you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and clean up your area for you and come back in a couple of days and you'll see how it's nice. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Doing it with someone is, is very different. And, and I don't see, you know, I don't see why any, any harm in that. Um, I think, I think the important thing is, is that you have to assess how much resistance there is in the organization, whether it's stagnation, whether it's outright resistance, whether it's simply just don't even know where to go because they haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you need to, to create, you need to break some of that ice. And, um, if someone's had the same routine every single day for 10 years, uh, well, it's, it's hard to just ask them to break their routine. You kind of need to break it for them. And mm-hmm. so going in and changing something about how they do things, oh, that can go a long way to freeing them up to try something new. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any examples of this, but I've seen um, different types of organizations where sometimes there's such a effort made to rationalize the waste that's there in the organization, either because of like you, you said, um, We've been doing it the same way for 10 years. Um, you know, talk about inspections and double checks, and people are so convinced. Well, we have to do this. Um, what, what are some methods you've used to sort of try to, you know, snap people out of their inertia and thinking that something really was necessary, and trying to convince them that that something was waste? Well, I think I think it drives a couple of things. One is really have, helping people see the ideal state and uh, helping them understand you know, where are they really trying to go. And if they start looking at that that way, at least they're willing to at least say, okay, what would it take to get there? If you ask them to just change something, well, okay, that's 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 really specific. But if you ask me, how are we going to get there? At least I'm allowed to engage in thinking about it a little more. And I, I think the other thing is that people really look at problems as you know something that might have sort of a binary solution. So we we tried solving that before we couldn't, so therefore mm. it can't be solved. And to me, a lot of a lot of waste elimination, a lot of getting pull in place, a lot of these things is about surfacing problems to then go about solving those problems in a different way. Mm-hmm. And we could go on to that for a whole another whole another hour. Mm-hmm. But but you know, I, I think it's it's helping them see see new solutions uh, to old problems. Great. Well, and hopefully we will have other discussions here in the future. I think we're about hitting our time um, in our discussion on waste. Um, we, there are plenty of other topics that we touched on today that I think we can build off of for um, a future discussion. But do you have any um, final thoughts to kind of wrap up the discussion here on waste today? Well, I think uh, just getting back to what I said in the beginning is that lean is not synonymous with waste elimination. But waste elimination certainly is a big driver but it's not just a reason for doing lean. It's it's an action we should be taking ourselves. And so I think I just encourage everyone to get out, learn waste, and do something about it. Great. Good advice. Well, thank you, Jamie, for being here. I appreciate your time and joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Well, thanks again to Jamie Flinchbaugh of the Lean Learning Center for joining us here on the podcast. I really liked what Jamie said. We hear all the time about how leaders are behind lean, quote-unquote. That sounds very passive, that that terminology. Leaders really need to be more actively involved with lean in teaching, coaching, and supporting their employees on a day-to-day basis. I, I assume you're listening to this because you're a lean leader at some level, and lean leaders exist at all levels of the organization, or at least we hope they do. If you have a follow-up question for Jamie about being a lean leader or any challenges with your lean work that you do, email me through the lean blog or call and leave a voicemail on the lean line, area code 817-776-LEAN. That's 
776-5326. If you're an international listener, you can contact me and leave a message through the Skype service. Uh, details about that are on the blog and the main page about the podcast. The next guest on the podcast, probably in about a week, will be uh, Norm Bodek, who's been with us before here on the podcast. And we're certainly looking forward to talking to him again about Lean and Toyota Production System concepts. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For Lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.